have you been playing Wordle? Uh, right. <laughs> I my first Wordle was pretty late to the game. I'd seen a few people tweeting it. Okay. And then I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. Okay. And I got it on my second try. <laughs> I got I got yellow blank yellow blank yellow, and then I got okay. all green. And I was like, all right, I retire. <laughs> Because I don't think I'm ever going to do better than that. I'm never going to get it first try. First try is pure luck. Second try, it was actually smart. Skill. Yeah. So I'm never going to do badges. What's the point now? I don't care about streaks and stuff like that. (laughs) I've always tried to care about, like, streaks and data and tracking things. And I just don't care. So first try and I'm happy. What about you? So so just to, to clarify, you did it. You got it in the second try and you thought, oh, well. Did it now? I've had enough Wordle now. Yeah, I've 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 beaten it to the degree that I'm happy with. I don't right. care about getting getting fives and sixes and fours and threes for the rest of eternity. I got my two. Okay, on my first try, and I'm done. So hilariously, I also got a two on my first try. It may have been what, the was sa- it, what word was it? it? May have been the same word. I honestly don't remember. But I can now because here's, robot. Here's the other one. It may have been robot actually. Yeah. So here's the thing. I have gone the opposite way. And now do it every single night once it's gone past midnight. <laughs> because <laughs> right, you don't even like have you don't have the patience fun. to wait for the morning. No, like well, usually I'm going to bed and I'm like, oh, it's past midnight. I can do a wordle, and so and so I go on and do it. And now and I can I can check it. I I looked at it the other day. I've had now two that I've got second time, but most well of them I'm getting in the third and fourth round, which is fair enough. But I I don't know what it is that is. I, that I enjoy so much about it because it's just you're literally just having to guess a word. There's not, well, there's not well, I, I, an enormous amount of skill in it. It's a very well designed puzzle game, but it's also one that we've all played before, right? Right. I don't remember what it's like. Is it was it called? Was it Mastermind or something? There was a little word game, like an actual board game that was very similar to Wordle. Okay. But the, 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 I think the thing they've got is the fact that you can only do one per day, and it tracks right. your dailies and stuff like that, which is people have really. Ticked into things that are daily and one per day. Yeah. Um. And well, in the last couple of decades, I guess, since the internet made it a lot more simple to to achieve that kind of a thing. So, like for me, I'd already played enough word game like that that I was just like, okay, this is just the new version of it, and I can't do two when I feel like doing two, so I'm just gonna not do it. And if I want to play a word game, I'll play one that I can play until I'm happy. There have been a number of spin-offs. There's now a uh, a Gallic Wordle called. Fackle. I did see that, yeah. Which I've tried a couple of times and actually, amazingly, got them right. Well, it's easier because you've got fewer letters to work with. <laughs> That's also true. Uh, but there's also like, there's like a rude version of Wordle. It's called like Ludle, I think. And there's another... <laughs> I mean, to be fair, with that one, you must be limited with how many rude words you can spell with <laughs> yeah. five letters. They're gonna be, there's going to be all the different ones for, di- for different nations next, and then cities. It's just like Monopoly, but... Or, but word. It's yeah. It's I find it really fascinating. But also, people much smarter than me this week had gone online and figured out the algorithm, and so could predict every word what? that the the game was going to spew out. Yeah, really, they figured out the randomization that, yep. they, that it was getting. Oh man, that's that's smart. Well done. But these these people, well, you broke the game. Yeah, these people obviously <laughs> good-hearted souls decided to keep that information to themselves, but said, "Hey, it, if you want to go and look it up, here here's what I did." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I don't, I don't know what coding is, so I, I, I don't. No, that's pretty smart of them to figure out. I mean, I guess you can just like they probably just used a, 
um, a very common randomization of some kind, and then it was just one that you can repeat. There are there are randoms, and when it comes to code, you can randomize things in a repeatable way and in, in an unrepeatable way. <laughs> okay, repeating it is the repeatable ways are easier. So therefore, if you're testing for random things, you can kind of like sometimes find the find the, re- the repetition and you'll see this is why you're good with computers and i am not but on the subject of games right it is one thing this year i have i've probably played more games this year than i have oh, this month than i have in the entirety of 2021 mainly because wow. i bought football manager 2022 oh, okay. because i'm a straight man <laughs> and uh <laughs> what happened last night in uh, the early hours of the morning? I got sacked. You lost your I got job. sacked from my beloved Werder Bremen. You lost your fake job. I lost my job. And I was, I've was i been so invested in this game and this squad and players I've got in and players I've sold and relationships uh, I've built with these lines of code right. that as soon as I got sacked, I said, well, that's unfair. I've been doing well. And so I just re-added myself as the boss of the, All right, of the team. Yeah, okay. And um, then the news report came in to say Colin Stone has been appointed as new Werder Bremen manager. He replaces the outgoing manager, Colin Stone. But uh, th- th- it was at that point. Wait, so why did you get sacked? Because I was in fourth, and I said I would get to the top. I would get in top three, and there was like five. There was five games of the season left, or there still are, because I, I, I reappointed myself as, as I manager. Like, I feel like a yeah. I feel like a sacking is is harsh. There. And I was like, look, come on, there's I, I can still do this. Has Give some me time. Vicious code has decided oh. that fourth is not close enough to your goals. Well, the the problem is that at the, at the start of the game, it asks you. It says, hey, do you want to? insert yourself into this game as someone who had like an illustrious career played uh, you know let's say domestic level or played uh, at the continental level perhaps played internationally right, right right but of course it can go the other way and so i could i put my experience as sunday league Right, yeah. Totally amateur. So it really sets the, if you fail at all, it's clear that you're just never going to be good enough. Sunday league, boy, get out of here. (laughs) Right, okay. But I thought I could do it and I couldn't. But it it also was the fact that at one in the morning, I'm sending a Snapchat to Graham. Yeah, I think we're the only people who still use that app, by the way. Right. Sending a Snapchat to Graham to say... I've been sacked as manager, and this is this is one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. And then you take stock of your life, and you think, "Wow, no, it's real. This is this is where we're at now. It's real. Real is subjective, right? The experiences matter, even if they're simulated experiences. It's it's cool. This right, is a right. really cool aspect of the human mind. We can get invested in things that aren't real, and that's great. Like this show. This show isn't real. We're not real. You ever you've, you've nope put on your 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 podcast app. You didn't press play. We're not real. Uh, anyway, James, how are you in this uh, simulation we call life? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay. After my peak of like beating a wordle really quick, and then realizing <laughs> that to enjoy it, I'd have to keep like implementing more and more rules to make it a harder and harder game. Uh-huh. Uh, I just went back to normal games that I liked, and I've, I've played a lot of those this week, and I've loved hey. it. Hey, hey. Great. Yeah. Good. Did Although, you complete any of them on your second try? Uh, no, no. I, I try to play games that I find difficult. Um, no, Wordle is hard. I just don't enjoy it. Don't worry. I'm, I'm making fun of it. Um, what, what, I, what I've had that's been a big issue <laughs> is that my, my eye got a bump. Oh, what? And I hate those. Your eye got a bump? I just got, I just, one of my eye just wasn't draining properly. My eyelid wasn't draining properly. Oh, no. Got a little bump. And you can feel it whenever you move your eye or whenever you ah. blink. And it was awful. But it's cleared. I think it's gone this morning. So we're back. That's I'm nasty. Happy. Well, yeah, it is. I hope nobody else has to experience them, but I do. I had uh, an experience last night 
playing football. It's not quite an eye bump, but it's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> right, eye bump was a great story, yeah. It was. I mean, 9 out of 10 for, for detail and storytelling. <laughs> But I was playing my weekly <laughs> game of five-a-side at Scotston right. in the, uh, the the West End. Right. And there was a 50-50 challenge. Ball's in the air. I'm running towards it, full pelt. Goalkeeper's coming out towards me, full pelt. Also, goalkeeper is probably mid-50s. Right. We then collide. With his balls in the air. The ball is in the air. But yeah. all the balls are in the air. Yeah. We collide in mid-air. Right. And I land on him. Ugh. And he lets out this... <laughs> full-on, like, yelp, and I realise I've landed smack bang on his ankle, Oof. and this old guy is in s- clearly in distress, Ow. and I, I'm, you know, I've landed on my back, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm fine. I, I didn't feel <laughs> do, any of that. At this point, do I pretend to be in pain too, so it looks okay. like so, neither right. of us is stronger than the other? <laughs> so, so basically, that's what went through my mind. I thought, okay, well, I can't just get up and be like, well, hey, I'm fine. So I just lay there for like 30 seconds, I went... Oh, 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 Ow. oh, and then people are like stretching out, like, are you right, mate? You okay? You right? Yeah, right. And I'm like, oh, I, 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 yeah, just, just, just the collision. And the, the other guy, the poor, poor Pete, had to injured. actually like hobble off the pitch and couldn't play anymore. But then I just had to like pretend to be injured for the rest of the game. Oh, so God, I couldn't. You made such a mistake. I know, I know. I just couldn't you like. You gotta hope that none uh, of those lads listen to this podcast, Colin. They don't. They do not. They absolutely do not. <laughs> but. It was awful because I'm usually the one who's like hearing after the ball. I used that game as an excuse to burn off as many yeah, 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 Mars yeah, yeah. bar donut calories as possible. Right. And after like half an hour of this collision, I and now I had to like pretend I was injured and just hung about in defense for the rest of the game. It was rubbish. I, I always had the opposite problem <laughs> playing football where like okay. I'd get I'm 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 tiny, right? So easy easy to completely hack me to pieces and take me down. I get a foul. You're lightweight. I I'd have the wrong brain on and I'd forget that <laughs> when you get fouled, you stop the game and you just like right. have a free I like I'd be right back up, keen to go. <laughs> if I knock if I bump into someone and we're both down, I'm like back on my feet, ready to go because I've just I've got the wrong I don't have the competitive brain off the actual game I've just got the competitive brain for where ball right now and that's it I'm not good I mean that's what I do where ball <laughs> but I don't like having the ball either it's too scary I'm not good enough to to handle it <laughs> not good enough to handle ball yes or balls both are true okay well that seems like a good point at which to start the show but then again I, I can juggle <laughs> it's it's afraid Episode 276. Oh, gosh. We're going to be at, I'd say, episode 300 at this rate, oh, July, maybe June time. Right. That's so a milestone. after Ukraine doesn't exist anymore. Right. So that's when it becomes uh, Rukraine. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Sounds like uh, that's the spin-off of RuPaul's Drag Race. Rukraine. <laughs> Rukraine. RuPaul, RuPaul, like, just, it's a, it's a show about choosing the next best country in the world <laughs> who has who has the most gas and the most soldiers oh hey you win well done we'll come we'll come back for season two in a couple of years when they attempt to annex estonia anyway oh welcome to the show i'm colin and he is jame i am and we are scotland's longest running right season one of any news slash entertainment slash basically life podcast absolutely in Existence and James, yep. we are still adding new listeners because we are we have a listener review from a new person. Wow, this week, 
which is great. That's amazing. And even in their email, they said, hey, I've only just started listening to the show recently. And guess what, James? What? They're American. <gasps> Wait. So... Are they from Spotify HQ? Right. So do you know all the time where we're analysing, like, where are people listening from? Yeah. And we were always very, very perplexed as to why there are so many Americans. Boulder. Well, may- maybe this is it. Ohio. Yeah. I d- well, I don't know. I don't know where he's from, but we'll, we'll find out. Uh, Anthony, where are you from? Are you from Ohio? <laughs> don't you are. <laughs> if so, then maybe that accounts for all the listens we get in Ohio. <laughs> anyway, this show is, uh, yes, your new favourite podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We are officially less popular than Ohio. Whoa. Harsh. <laughs> to Ohio. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I suppose. I've never actually been there. You know, I'm sure it's lovely. Comparing anything to us brings it down a few pegs. So yes. Indeed. And you can get in touch with the show, as some of you have done, at Seesaw Parade on Twitter. Right. Or Seesaw Parade at gmail.com. Absolutely. I want to draw attention to uh, an image which we were sent from Shanana. Uh, it's a screenshot, and it is of me in a hard hat and a high-vis vest. Right. Which is taken from a YouTube advert. And the, the <laughs> caption says, from Shanana, minding my own business, watching YouTubes, and this guy walks into my house. Rude. And it is a screenshot, dear listener, of an advert I filmed in front of a building site in Pollock Park about two weeks ago, which is now a YouTube oh, you advert. Did that two weeks? You're on YouTube. I'm on YouTube. And not for the first time. I didn't see this. Right. So so go on. I'll maybe tag you on it. So on the Seesaw Parade, in fact, I'll retweet it. I'll retweet it right oh, now. Right this very moment. You can all go and look at it and see this this beautiful image. Can you go back in time, find this very moment. The thing is, I, so I was asked by a, a client to, the same client who asked me to stand in front of an accident, an emergency, and present, have you been injured in an accident that wasn't your fault? And I told him to bog off. He then said, hey, right. could you do the same except wear a hard hat and a high-vis vest and stand in front of a construction site? And I said, yeah, I could do that. Much more reasonable. Much more, yeah. Construction sites, who cares? So I wait till Saturday... And uh, wait until they're all they're all gone, and then filmed my. Have you been injured in an accident at a construction site? You could be entitled to thousands of pounds of compensation. And uh, now that that, you know, for me it was like, hey, you want to film one of those adverts in your career? Of course I do. I've done that, and now it's and now it's on YouTube. And genuinely, I've had about a dozen people send me screenshots of, Colin, what is this? Why are you here? <laughs> You're an actor now. That's why. Why is the lighting so bad? Yeah, that's actually that. That does look very amateur, Colin. You haven't you haven't delivered. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah no. It, in terms of you know, I took it back to the, my editing suite and I thought, well, that's substandard. Oops. But <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, you know, I, I, it was outside. It was cloudy. Not much I could do. Well, clouds is nice, but yeah, that's a tough. That is a tough time of cloudiness to be to be cracking it. I guess half of the problem is, I don't think we expect adverts to look like the really boring winter days where it's neither snowy or or dry where it's just a bit of both and it's just sad it's literally filmed in the dead of january so yeah yeah we're not that's not that is not peak advert time but maybe maybe you'll start a new craze of like real real adverts <laughs> real adverts which are poorly lit and poorly presented by people who bought 12 pound hard hats off amazon yeah that's the future no you look really safe <laughs> No way could you have had an accident at work in that attire. And I totally look like the kind of person who works in a construction site. It's just your average guy. Just like, hey, yeah. I work at a did construction you... site, lads. <laughs> did you put on a builder accent at all? Did you put on a constructy boy accent? Well, the funny thing is that I've had this a couple of times from clients. People who say, okay, that's too, that's too salesy. You need to be more chatty. 
And it's a normal advert. It's funny in that I, I, I find that really challenging because usually, and for the last, what, 12 years, I've been doing the sales stuff, the the, right. the kind of voiceovers which are like, hey, do you want to buy this really luxurious shampoo? It's great for your hair. Uh, whereas they want you to be like, so there's a shampoo I like, and you, you know, you, you might like it too. <laughs> it's It does good stuff for your hair. So it's that totally different style, which to me, I'm Whoa. just thinking, I sound and look like a total amateur. Did you know that shampoo existed? I never knew. But here's one for you. Shampoo. So in the same way, the client was saying, just just chat, just talk. Don't read this like a sales pitch. But <laughs> but it's no. it's still me no, that doesn't work. just being like, hey... What a, you've been injured in an accident because, yo, lads, so have I. But yeah, they want it to sound like a real testimony kind of thing, a testimonial ever. Precisely, but yeah, yeah. I guess you need the bit of both for that. It can't be the full thing. Unless you're telling a story like, hey, well, I was working in my construction job right here in front of this like little mound of dirt, and I slipped and broke my ankle. But I didn't have to worry because I went to random firm that wants to profit off of my pain. Claims Solutions Scotland. <laughs> Sorry, my my company name was clearly better. Who, uh, <laughs> in the terms and conditions, will take a chunky slice yeah. of whatever they claim. So long as it's like, no win, no fee. Everything's fine. You aren't wasting your time. Anyway, I feel we have deviated somewhat from the initial script. <laughs> a wee bit. <laughs> Shall we uh, talk about Boris Johnson and cake? Oh, okay. Ah. Uh, uh. Did you know cake existed? I did not. But wow, here's a cake for you. Cake is really tasty. I've had one before. Boris was ambushed with one this week. Yeah, have you ever been sitting in a room and then suddenly there's cake? Call us on Suddenly Cake in your room. Call call the Metropolitan Police. And we'll, we'll, we'll get a claim. And we'll do nothing. Okay, so here's the... I, I, we did this last week. News stories happened uh, and, and recurring daily updates. So I'm just going to take you through the big ones and then we'll talk about Sorry. yon big picture once again. So let's start with uh, the news that Boris Johnson... Had a birthday party right during the first lockdown in 2020. Yes, despite the rules forbidding social gatherings indoors at the time. Right. So it's alleged that uh, the PM's wife Carrie helped organise a surprise get together for him on the afternoon of June 19th, just after two. So up to 30 people mm-hmm. were said to have attended the event in the cabinet room. Yes, after Boris returned from uh, an event. And also their interior designer was, was there, who is uh, currently renovating the, the the Johnson's flat. Oh, well, allegedly. Indeed. And this was uh, don't know about around it. the time at which Boris was still urging the, the public to respect the rules designed to keep us all safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this then yeah. continued. And, and the, the number 10 have responded to the allegations and said, uh, nope, didn't happen. Uh, we only hosted a small number of family members outside and then people sang uh, according to this report they sang happy birthday and a cake Mm -hmm. was presented now i believe this is one of the first ones where number 10 actually did admit that the the word party was at least appropriate i think they were was it this one they were like well yeah there was a party but (laughs) it wasn't breaking the rules as badly as you want to believe (laughs) so all right because Yeah, as as we've uh, mentioned there, other Tory ministers stepped forward into uh, press interviews 
defending him right. with Connor Burns being the most prominent who claimed that the Prime Minister was ambushed with a cake. Yes, yes. And everyone knows that when you get ambushed with a cake, there is absolutely no escape. <laughs> the PM is completely powerless. He's not He's not got much in terms of like... Doesn't much sway. Force behind him. Right. So when he gets a bunch of people bringing him a cake and he knows it's against the rules, he can't go, oh, no, 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 no. You all better leave because the rules matter. He just has to sit there and accept the cake. Uh, and also, uh, Mr. Burns then insisted it was not a premeditated party uh, <laughs> that the Prime Minister himself decided to have sent out. A premeditated party. Love I that. Didn't, I didn't mean to commit the crimes and that means that it's fine. What I saw this week from, I believe it was the Times, maybe it was uh, the Telegraph, which was uh, some insight into Boris and Carrie, who last weekend uh, went to Checkers, which is their the residence in the countryside. Very often going there, yeah. And apparently, according to this uh, this journalist in this article, were very confused by all the anger and the outrage because, again, according to this report, they genuinely believed that they were all in one household in 10 Downing Street. Because, you know, house slash office, doesn't matter if there's 30 people there, it's all the same household. That's what I, uh, yeah, that's what I heard. Right. And I'm sure that all of them were, like, abiding by all the rules that households had to abide by. So... You know, they're all sleeping there, sleep, sleeping bags and uh, yeah, tents. Every, nobody was, like, going anywhere else and going home or staying anywhere else. And there wasn't any, like, random trips to other uh, accommodations, kind of like checkers. Um, <laughs> nothing like that. Even if you have, even if you have, like, call them all one household at that point, everything is fine. It's it's uh, yeah it is it's, it's ridiculous at this right. point. But it already was ridiculous. So hey. So to take you up to to date, this is Friday afternoon. Right. This is the latest because on Wednesday the Metropolitan Police announced they would now investigate the parties. They would investigate what had happened. Can't believe it. However, can't believe it. The news today <laughs> in a statement from the Met. Yeah. They asked Sue Gray, mm-hmm. who is currently penning said reports into the number 10 lockdown parties, to make minimal reference to said parties right. to the events that they're investigating yes. in order to avoid prejudicing its inquiries. Yeah, which um, I, can, I can kind of believe, but not, I'm not there yet. The, the chat this week was that we were all expecting Sue Gray's report probably on Wednesday, which didn't happen. Well, we were expecting a sheet of paper that was entirely highlighted black. Yeah, well, essentially heavily redacted. Although, the, the, again, the chat has been that the, <laughs> the Sue Gray intends to publish the report in full, but clearly at this point in time it's not going to happen. However, James, as I say, the latest is that this uh, Met statement is calling for said report to essentially be censored. Yes. Um, what, does, what does that mean for the timing of the report? I haven't a clue. Or how much detail it goes into, yeah. or whether it's even going to get published yes. at all. It's giving them an excuse to do none of those things, right? Because the, the Met have, have released a statement that isn't very clear. But what I don't understand, or what, what I don't understand in terms of logic, is why there can't be, let's say, two versions of the report. Right. One that gets more public, and one that we all get to see that also doesn't prejudice the, the Met's investigation, which is fair, because that's how these investigations work. Everyone knew from the get-go that if any of the stuff started to be investigated by the Met, that there would then be an impact on the timing or the content of the first report. However, as far as I'm aware, 
members of parliament are privileged enough to get access to things that would otherwise be censored because of these reasons. So I don't see why there isn't this idea that, hey, we're going to send out copies of the report to select people from select parties um, that are it, that, where the report is in full and then they can uh, um, prep according, accordingly for when everything can kick off. Because I'm pretty sure that's happened in the past where there's been versions of reports that are more open at different levels and it is because of police reasons. So I don't know. Okay. It, it just seems like a weak excuse to to put a hold on things for even longer because they realized that they wouldn't get away with just telling the police not to investigate it. Yeah, so to to take a couple of quotes from other political figures, we've had the Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer who said that any issues of prejudice have got to be worked through whatever that means. And yeah. then he moved on to say... Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a lawyer. He said nothing, right? <laughs> what I want to see is Sugray's report in full and the investigation finished as quickly as possible. And then we've had Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, who said the situation was getting murkier by the minute. Yeah. And the rapid conclusion and full publication of inquiries was now essential for public trust. Yeah. And uh, then went on to say the sequence of events and the situation arrived at now creates the suspicion that the process of inquiry is aiding Johnson at the expense of public <laughs> accountability, and I would say she's right. She's right, and she also said that at one point she has also said that Boris Johnson has misled Parliament. She didn't say looks like he has or anything. She said he has. So she is just like actually saying truths because yep. he has. He's had several different sides of several different statements that, if you take them all verbatim, do not align with each other, and therefore some of the things he's said are are, are misleading, even within the context of just Boris Johnson. Is is Lord of Truth? Okay, so that's that's where we're at at the moment. Sugray report potentially indefinitely postponed. <laughs> I know it's going to take years, right? The Met Police uh, they they got to investigate these parties in depth. How long is that going to take? You know that this could be weeks, it could be months. Well, they can't they can't actually get away with it because they they are still investigating uh, normal human people who had parties in the 2020s as well, right? Yeah, there are, are other yeah. investigations that are still ongoing, so like they can just draw this out forever and ever and ever, which is why the rest of the parties and MPs who care need to be pushing for releases of what is possible. So, big picture, once again, I've got two thoughts. The first one I want to talk uh, talk about is a bit more niche. And it was about last week with the Scottish Conservatives who all came out all of them to say that Boris should resign. Yeah, but they're nobodies. Right, but but obviously that that creates a bit of a schism in the party because now, <laughs> yeah. like Bor- Boris could potentially just stay on as leader for what however however long he really wants. Oh, until the next election, and then he probably would get the vote. So at some point, does do the Scottish Conservatives say no? Uh, we we take it back. We didn't actually mean it because <laughs> yeah, yeah. what they just have to continue in the same party despite the fact that everyone in Scotland has called for his resignation. No, yeah, they would totally just try and take it back quietly without being noticed. There's no way that the Scottish Conservatives have the backbone just to form a separate party and try and rebrand or anything like that. They do not. And I don't think they'd have the backing for it. I don't think they believe in themselves to create a competitive Conservative Party in Scotland. However, Uh in my selfish interests, I would like them to try. Uh, And also, I think... If they were to go back on the word and say, actually, we want Boris to stay, that would actually do more damage than good because everyone would say, well, that's quite the about face you've done. Yeah. So they've got to just sneak it. If Boris does stick around, they've got to try and hope that other things are getting the headlines until Boris is dead, I guess. The, the The second point is more 
about the the UK and also about Boris. Right. I saw a Twitter thread this week which explained it nicely, which was Boris has made it clear that he ain't going anywhere. He is going to stay. He's going to fight. Yeah. He's he's got the the backing of the British people. Blah blah blah. Right. As we talked about last week, for a leadership contest to be triggered, Sir Graham Brady, this big head honcho in the Tories, needs to receive fifty four letters of no confidence. Yes. And that doesn't sound like the threshold has been met. Certainly this week. Not quite, yeah. People waiting for the outcome of said report, which, as we've discussed, may be some time away yet. And then we get to, let's say we get to 54 letters. Then what? Because Boris's cabinet, to a person, have all backed him to the hilt. They've all... Some of them were also at these parties, getting surprised by cake. Also true. Yeah. And and so he's got... Looking at Yurishi. Everyone in his top team, i.e., the top candidates for his job yeah. on his side. Yes. So let's let's say they trigger a leadership contest. You get Boris versus some also-rans who, you know, fancy themselves for the big job. But because they don't have the backing of, Any of the, big the majority of the rest of the party, then Boris is just going to... He'll win that. He will. Even if it's, he scrapes it. Yeah. And he stays on as prime minister. So, But we want that. <laughs> this, whole, this whole rigmarole is, uh, is still going to end with Boris... As prime yeah, minister, minister, don't tell them because he ain't, he ain't going. Don't tell the conservatives, but this is the this is the ideal path. How? Because what happens in this situation is the conservatives have a little bit of infighting. Boris wins because he is the most powerful person in the party still. Yep. Even with all of this going on, and then because he's won, it shows that it is a party problem, not a Boris problem, and it's an entire party problem, not a let's say the front bench problem, and that they've all put their stamp on Boris and said, I proved. And that's what that that is that is the truth. The truth is that it's a party problem and this is a way to show it. Which is why I think some of them are being a bit big brained and not putting in their no confidence letters until they know there is really no other option aside from trying to get rid of the, but, but the then, top of the party. But then the question is who who goes against them? Because as I say, Rishi Sunak seems like the There's no one. most like most likely candidate. And he whilst he has uh, failed to really see him say anything of note in the last week, he certainly seems like the guy you would pick, but yeah. he is he is on Team Boris. Well, he looks like he's on Team Boris. And until this week, I thought he was just pretending to be on Team Boris because he wasn't saying a lot. He wasn't giving a lot of backing to the Prime Minister and he was like smirking and dodging questions and all that. And I was like, well, okay, looks like someone's got a plan. Uh, but then I found out that he was also ambushed by cake, stuff oh. like that. Weak excuses, didn't know it was party, stuff like that. And I've realized that maybe he also just has to weakly pretend that he's on Team Boris so that when it all comes out and he's like, well, and, and Rishi was there for three or four of these parties, uh, he's got to be like, yeah, sorry. And he's got the he's got the easy sorry. So I still am leaning more towards that uh, whoever it is is doing all well we know we know some of the people who are doing all these releases but the the team that is trying to take down Boris I still think think themselves that Sunak is the is the next candidate but there is this other part of me that's like well maybe there's someone else they're planning around because Rishi was involved in too many of the parties he was he's got all oh, he's got the covid fraud on his name now he might not be uh, he might not have the legs that he it seems at the moment even with Things like the BBC implying that he's Superman. Okay, one more uh, story that broke this week about Boris, which uh, many people missed, but is also worth discussing, oh, yeah. is about <laughs> the evacuation of Afghanistan. 
and the emails this week, two in particular, which appeared to show that Boris Johnson had prioritised pets yes. over people. Well, yeah, they do show that, right? <laughs> they, they do. So the Prime yeah. Minister had insisted that he did not authorise the rescue of cats and dogs he had nothing to do with uh, it. from a British charity in Afghanistan. But the release of these two emails uh, by the Cross-Party Foreign Affairs Select Committee has now prompted the allegations that the Prime Minister lied. I'm shocked. Because, and let's let's take out the word allegations, he lied. He did. Because in these emails, it says, uh, word for word, this charity now ZAD, run by an ex-Royal Marine, Penn Farthing, and I quote, has received a lot of publicity and the PM has just authorised their staff and animals to be evacuated. Yeah. That is from someone within uh, the the Foreign Office working for Lord Zach Goldsmith, who wrote to another official uh, responsible for collating these exceptional cases for rescue after the Taliban takeover in August. And then there's a second email which says basically the same thing in light of the PM's decision earlier today to evacuate the staff of the animal charity following the uh, authorization of the animals. So that's then the evidence that, indeed, Boris has lied. Yeah, and right. here's another thing. Prioritized animals over people and then Terrible. decided that maybe it wasn't the best thing to have headlines off, so pretended he didn't and said it that said that he didn't and lied. But it's just another Boris lie. No one's gonna care. Nope. And this is where it gets scary, is because there are so many things that are bad that if the Conservatives manage to draw all of this out, they get all of the mud out right now, headlines right now and they just draw it out for a few months, they've got the world's laziest voter base. <laughs> and that voter base will go, oh, we've been talking about this for like half a year. Can we just, can we just stop and it? move on? And, th- and then they'll vote for them yes. again. And we'll get back to that. It'll be, can we just drop it again? Like they've done to a hundred problems in the past. But once again, we've discussed this in the past. The Conservatives are the most successful political party in the world. And right. in terms of elections stood for and elections won. And ultimately, Britain is a, conserv- a conservative country. We have voted for, as a country, more conservative governments than anything else. So, right. Th- but there has to be a line. Well, you'd like to think there's a line between, you know, what uh, a party stands for versus what it actually does. Uh, and it seems to me, and here's one final story before we move on, uh, that some people seem to have realised where that line is. There was a Conservative minister in the House of Lords this week who resigned after attacking uh, the Tory government's handling of fraudulent COVID business loans, which we've talked about in the past. Uh, Lord Agnew accused the Treasury of having little interest in the consequences of fraud to our society. I mean, well, yeah. Well, no, like rich people fraud. (laughs) Right. Specifically. They they care very much about poor people fraud. Of course, Yeah. yeah. Um, and and it's not the it's not the only indication that things are changing, right? Because there are some conservatives who seem to actually have a line, and they've so, realised the party's gone too far. Sorry, and then just to, the just likes. at this point to add in uh, a, a statistic for you, because this will be okay. a, a good one for for lots of people. Uh, Lord Agnew also accused the government of making schoolboy errors by giving loans to over one thousand companies yeah. who were not trading. Yeah. When COVID struck. It's like almost like they were set up to try and get those loans. £4.3 yeah. billion pounds worth of loans. And how are we going to follow up? 
who knows? Nothing. Because they don't seem to care. And he's right, they don't seem to care. There, There is this divide in the party, and I don't think it's strong enough. I don't think there's enough of the old school. I'm going to put it in quotes because I hate the phrase old school conservatives who actually okay. care about things. There's not enough of those. There has never been those. Those don't exist. UK and America, there's no such thing as the good conservatives from back in the day because they've always been against things like progress and equality and bringing up the poor into a, into a reasonable level of like an ability to eat even. The good conservatives don't exist. There's not enough now, there never has been. So some of them might be there who kind of want to pretend that they're that and then they'll, they'll leave the party or they'll, they'll resign their post, but they'll keep voting for all the stuff that stamps the poor people down and makes the rich people rich. Um, then you got the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg, who said that the, the a change of party leader requires a general election now. He's recognizing that the country is shifting, that the people are shifting. And he, he said it was a shift to a presidential uh, mode of, of elections. Yeah, he's implying that because of the way we've changed how we run or how we receive elections as a voter base, that it is basically voting for the figurehead, not the party which is kind of true because of the system. The system encourages that. Um, so there is there is all of this recognition of change and some people need to stand up to make sure that that change goes in, a, in the right direction, like voter reform, where we have a more representative government uh, rather than just the one that Rees-Mogg wants, which is basically conservative dictatorship. Right. But that with the occasional election to prove that we still are voting for the party. Uh, just as we wrap up this, this segment... The whole gamut of stories that we've discussed both this week and last week has further put under the spotlight the fact that this government is, I mean, beyond saving is an understatement, but you know, rife with corruption, with it's, fraud, it's, with yeah, just flat out arrogance in so many different areas. And this is law breaking again. I, I people are angry, yeah. but as you say, the longer this gets dragged out the more the British people will just say, well, we've heard about this before. And then when the, the report or whatever happens, it'll be a slap on the wrist and life will continue. Yeah. And as you say, I fully expect that at the next election, the Conservatives will once again win. And that makes me sad. Yeah, I believe that they've got enough time to regain from their current standing in the polls because their voter base does hate immigrants more than they hate cheaters. And their voter base hates um, benefits fraudsters more than it hates... Um, rich people literally making everyone in the country starve to death. And therefore, they will use the weak excuse of, oh, it's in the past, and move on. It's always weak excuses when it comes to conservatives and people who vote for them. Now, there are always the people that aren't in those statements. There are people who are just misled, misinformed, and it's usually they're being misinformed by, by bad faith actors and stuff like that. So I am not looking forward to the next election because I think it will be another conservative win and it will just stamp down that even after years of blatant corruption and fraud, they still have the votes. It's not going to be fun. I really hope that that the Labour Party or anyone else can take advantage of this to create legitimate momentum for change. Also, also, your point that the Conservative Party is the most is the most popular because the UK is the most conservative country. Uh, the only reason that's true is because both the parties in America are conservative, so they get to share how conservative America is. Just, just throwing the caveat out there. Okay, James, let's uh, talk about what we've been watching or 
listening to or enjoying this week. And ah, I have okay. a movie which I believe may win lots of awards. Oh. We have a uh, listener review, and we have something that you've seen as well. And do you know what, James? I'm going to give you the floor. Oh, yeah. So tell us, what have you watched? I watched a film that you've watched and probably reviewed that I remember. <laughs> the Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad, as opposed to Suicide Squad. Yeah, specifically The Suicide okay. Squad. Yeah, The James Gunn, The Suicide Squad. This is the one that came out, so it would have been August last year, with yeah. the likes of uh, some of the original cast from the first movie, mm-hmm. but then this reboot slash sequel, this requel, added the likes of John Cena, David Dastamalshin, Idris Elba, all sorts of big names. And I, I, James, I liked it a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. What did you think? The film was a, was a lot of fun, indeed. And it, and it was, in a lot of ways, surprising and somewhat yeah. weirdly refreshing, even though it was only the second in the attempts at making this this franchise. <laughs> um, I, I, and it still feels like it's too soon for spoilers, but their decisions about who 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 survives, because it is a suicide squad, their decisions about who survives and for how long uh-huh. were surprising. Not, not, not completely. There were a couple of characters where it was obvious they're going to be in the whole film and they're probably going to survive till the end. Right. But there were other ones that was just like, oh, didn't expect that so soon. Or they brought characters uh, into a situation where you're like, oh, I guess the character that I thought maybe was a bit of a standout is going to die really quick. <laughs> and then they do. Um and that's what that, that that was that's what you watch the film for in a way. It's the hook. You watch it to see yep, yep. how these bad guys get killed. Um but then on top of that, they actually had relatively good storytelling. Uh-huh. With some non-standard paths to get to the ending. Uh they had a really well done uh CGI big bad guy. Mm-hmm. I usually don't like CGI big bad guys, but I thought this one was was actually very well done. It was. Uh and they had some good commentary on how bad America is. They did. And I granted that's pretty common in Hollywood is America bad, but only for paying attention. And it was and it was fine. Um, the way they had characters bouncing off each other was good. They, there wasn't just two dimensional interactions between each character. They all treated each other differently, um, but all in a way that was grounded in the film. Um, there was elements of um, setting something up in the first act that was only going to get the big the big punch at the final moment. Yeah. and I liked that. There was there was a lot to like about this film, um, and the the first few minutes really sets you up for the enjoyment of it because it it throws you in and then it goes actually no and then <laughs> it throws you in, um, and I really liked that and like I hope to see more things along these lines, even maybe not with exactly the same characters or the Suicide Squad again, or maybe just more films that treat themselves with the kind of uh, not so serious, but still trying hard attitude that, that, that this film did. There was a lot to like. I, I'm glad that I enjoyed it this much. Yeah, it, it was refreshing, as you've said, and surprising how, how much I did enjoy it. And I, as I remember referencing in my review over the summer, it has some really nice stylistic touches as to how it segued from one scene to the next. Yeah. Rather than yeah. just having to always use subtitles, there was some creativity in there, which I enjoyed. Yeah, there was there was elements of creativity that I wasn't expecting, but then you think about who's actually behind the camera and who's doing the right, story right, writing right. and storyboarding. You're like, okay, actually, yeah, it does make sense because it's just DC, but run by someone who knows how to make this style of film. 
Um, right. But I would say that the weakest, one of the weakest things that was supposed to be a winner was just the music. I think the Suicide Squad and the first film, Suicide Squad, both had music that was just way too on the nose and actually was yes. distracting rather than um, being the kind of last 20 years or last decade and a bit of like using iconic music and scenes to get to add to them. The music was mostly just distracting from them rather than adding to them. My, my last question before we move on, because of how well this film did, how well it was received, we've had a, a TV show spin-off for John Cena's character Peacemaker. Uh, I'm unsure w- what time period that's set, but there was a, a trailer which came out a few weeks ago and reviews for that have been decent as well. What do you think the future is? Because as you say, since it was it went down so nicely with audiences and critics, some people and some people behind the scenes, I'm sure, would be saying, oh, we need to make another one. Yeah. Uh, are, are people too saturated at this point? Because as you say, it's just, it, it's as formulaic a story as you can get. They, they have a, a team of people who are bad, who will all die, or most of them will die throughout the film as they attempt to do the impossible. Yeah. And, and just rinse and repeat. And the only creativity is how they make those bad guys. And that's in quotes, because one of them isn't even really a bad guy. Um, right, right. Or several of them actually are just troubled, which I liked. I liked that the characters were just like, hey, this is someone who was in a horrible situation and had to like steal stuff. Or this is someone who was abused their whole childhood and turned out to be a bit of a monster in their adulthood. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you run out of like that kind of bad guy, but good at heart, uh, like character development idea. There's not, there's not many ways to do that that I'm thinking of. So I don't want to see too much of this. Just I want to see it whenever they've got it. It well done whenever they got a good idea for how to make the characters uh, actually believable and actually grounded. Um, I don't want to see too much repeating character because I think you've you explore their entire story in one film. Um, so I don't know what I want, and I'm glad that the film didn't set it up for endless sequels because of the way it treated some yeah, yeah. characters, because of the way it treated established characters because of the way it treated the established story. I don't think it was setting itself up for endless sequels. Maybe it's setting itself up for endless TV series. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really want loads of these, but just every now and then, something that's making a fun of the current meta in cinema is welcome. Okay, well, dear listener, if you have watched a movie, finished a TV series, or read a book, or had a nice dinner, you can review it. You can send it to us, seesawparade at gmail.com, as Anthony has done. Yeah. And James, he was watching The Tragedy of Macbeth. Oh. Here he is. Hiya, Anthony here, and I'm taking my first stab at a movie review um, for The Tragedy of Macbeth, which came out just the other day on Apple TV. Oh, the Apple one. First yeah. off, let me preface this with the fact that I'm a huge Macbeth fan okay. or nerd. Um, I had my high school copy of the play in hand for most of the viewing. So, yeah, <laughs> take this as you will. <laughs> so right from the get-go, I was very much taken in by the artistic design. Mm-hmm. Modern Bauhausian sets with lots of geometric shapes, mm-hmm. funky medieval modern costumes that um, according to Wikipedia, are called um, Lux Monastic, and a creative filming style that gave off a very strong film noir vibe. Mm-hmm. Overall, very visually appealing, and I was a fan of a lot of the scene transitions found throughout. So while this is in fact a movie, it very much has the feel of a dynamically filmed stage performance. Yeah. 
It's minimalistic in the overall production. There aren't any big Hollywood fight scenes or army battles. Nice. To me, the absence of which was not really missed. This choice in leaving aside the heavy sword clashing, screaming, gore of hundreds of soldiers dying um, certainly leaves a greater onus on the actors to propel the plot along to its tragic conclusion. Yeah. Um, and with that, I thought the acting met that challenge. It, everyone was solid and authentic. Uh, no phony accents were found. Um, <laughs> if you were looking for a Scottish Denzel Washington, then I'm sorry, viewer, this, this is not for you. <laughs> Frances McDormand's Lady Macbeth was powerful, cold, calculating, and overall just brilliant. But I found the famous madness scene to be a bit underwhelming for a diehard fan slash nerd. Not one of my favorite renditions, but at least she didn't expel a weird dinosaur screech like Dame Judi Dench did um, <laughs> back in the late 70s. I'd say it's definitely worth a watch. There's a bit of freshness to this production, and it seemed to pulse along at a pretty good clip. Um, not my all-time favorite production, though, but it's definitely up there. I'll probably watch it again, but this time without my printed copy of the play. <laughs> All right, that's it from me. Bye. Thank you, Anthony. Quality. I, I'll be honest. Thank you. That's probably the first time we've ever had the phrase Lux Monastic ever said <laughs> have, in the podcast. I've learned, I don't know what that means, but it sounds great. I have learned some things. I'm going to be Googling them after we're finished recording. And also after, um, uh, yeah, the, the, even the suggestion of Scottish Denzel Washington, I'd love to see him have a go at butchering mm. that. It'd be great. Mm, yeah, um, I'm a bit tired of people butchering accents, especially accents that I'm familiar with. But hey, very true. if he wants to give it a now, go, he might be able to do it. There was one reference, and I should say at this point, this is, uh, yeah, it's on Apple TV, and uh, it's directed by Ethan Cohen, one of the Cohen yeah, brothers. We did, we did um, talk about the film when we saw the trailer, which was, right, right. I found a lot more interesting than you did. Uh, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> but there was one thing, there was one thing in that review I wanted to to go back to reference, and that was uh, talking about this, you know, the iconic scene when Lady Macbeth is saying, you know, can can all the waters not not clean my hands for 20 seconds, wash your hands for 20 seconds, that, that whole uh, spiel. Right. Which she's saying. Which has a name. Which has a name, which uh, Anthony mentioned. And then he talked about <laughs> this Judy Dench Howl the dinosaur from scream. the dinosaur scream from a Macbeth production in the seventies. Yeah, and I found it. You did. It is oh, astonishing. Okay. I'm going to play it for you. Okay. No. Right. <laughs> That is 27 seconds long. Discord didn't think it was human. I didn't hear a single second. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, it's, it's really remarkable. Make sure you, you look that up. I'll send you a link because, my goodness, it is uh, quite the howl from the dame. And speaking of, what a great segue oh. into what I watched this week. Okay, okay. I, I hope that you'd, you'd give a, another pat on the head to the review. That was excellent. Thank you very it, it much. Was, uh, yes, absolutely. And please do. And, and I'm glad because because I do love 
I love remakes that are artistic. So this week I went to the cinema to watch Belfast. All right. Now Belfast, if dear listener, you are in the the zone or in the in the mood for going to see a movie, right? Go watch Belfast, right? Because it is such a sweet, charming movie, and I am almost convinced. I mean, I've not seen many other Oscar contenders yet, but I am almost convinced it will win best picture. Okay. Let me tell you let me tell you why. So, this is written and directed by Kenneth Branagh. Is he Sir, Sir Kenneth Branagh? I don't know. Oh, I love him. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. V- very famous person who has done lots of very cool things on screen and behind the camera and you'd recognize him. <laughs> yes. He is uh basing this movie on his childhood or childhood uh, memories from growing up in Belfast in the late 60s, early 70s, around the time the Troubles began. Right. And what the film details, which is entirely in black and white, other than a couple of uh, scenes which are really nicely coloured for for specific reasons, which makes sense in the, the context of the movie. Okay. What it does is it tells the story of this young boy, Buddy, who's nine, and his life over the the course of a, a probably about a year, and in his own little world, he's concerned with the girl he's sitting next to in class, right, 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 and yeah. he wants to he wants to sit next to her, Valid. and he wants to play football, and he wants to to join to join a gang, and he's just just young people's stuff. He's shoplifting from a nearby Mister Sings, and he's getting into all sorts of trouble. He's got a complicated relationship with his uh, his mum and well, not complicated. He has a relationship with his mum and dad. I should I should say, right? And he is very fond of his grandparents. And okay, basically that is the story of the film. However, as this is all unfolding. There is the drip feed yeah. of escalating violence yeah. and attacks and incidents going on in the background. Okay. And it's and that's told through, for example, a scene which starts with a TV on in the background. And the mum is watching the TV of something that happened in Belfast the night before. And then the next scene there's a, a radio report or there's a newspaper clipping or there's a neighbor who talks about something. And it's so inter- it's such an interestingly told story because it's all these terrible things, but happening through the lens of a child. So rather than yeah, hey, here's the here's the story of how the trouble started. It's hey, here's this boy buddy. He's just growing up. He's he's living life. He wants to go to the moon. Right. And uh, also Protestants and Catholics are are fighting each other. And here's and here's a gangster who's threatening Buddy's dad. And what's so interesting about the movie as well is that. The collection of scenes, there are a couple of scenes in particular where there are two lines of dialogue and then it moves on. Okay. And it's it's punchy, it's fast-paced, and my goodness, it's funny. It's so funny. And it's not even comedy. It's it's. Do you know what I would compare it to? I compare it to Roma. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which came out so three or four years ago. One best picture was uh, Alfonso Cuaron, who similarly was drawing on his his memories and experiences growing up in, in Mexico. Right. The difference for me is that, first of all, I think Roma was about three hours long. Indeed. Belfast is a punchy one hour 30, which is great. It deals with serious subjects with lightness. Uh, with with an airiness about it as well. Okay, you know, there's even some some very uh, really funny scenes of you know Buddy going along to 
his church and there's a big sweaty minister bellowing at, <laughs> uh, at the congregation. Right. And, you know, just little ends to, to scenes which are, you know, make you chuckle and then you're into the next scene. And the whole movie is just peppered with these really endearing sequences. Okay. As well as the underlying issues, which are simply worse, getting worse and worse and worse. And it culminates in uh, the family making a decision. I'll I'll leave it there because to to avoid spoilers. Oh. They make a decision. They make a decision. Ooh. So if you do want to go, and just on the cast side of things, Jamie Dornan plays the lead. He is. Excellent. Uh, he may well get uh, a nod for this, but uh, Dame Judi Dench, also excellent. Kieran Hines, excellent. And the supporting cast, who I believe are uh, lots of uh, just Irish, Northern Irish homegrown actors, um, all splendid, all really, really good. Right. So yeah. if you do get the opportunity to go to the, the cinema, or if this comes on streaming services in a few months, please do watch it. It's such a lovely film. So yeah, Belfast. No, I do. I do Oscar want to, winner. I do want to catch that one. And yeah, I think the only thing that I'm latching onto in terms of wondering why they did it is another why are they doing it in black and white? Aside from just like making it even more Oscar bait. So and it's, there, I, there, I care a lot. I care a lot about black and white film because I think when it's done well, it's, it's really good. Yeah. But I also care about keeping things like the troubles as present in people's minds. But black and white, I think, shoves it into the past. Um, so I think it's an interesting balance for me. If if the merit of doing that overcomes the the uh, cost of like making it feel like a distant past. So if you watch or when you watch the movie, as I say, there's a, a two scenes where right. color is brought back in. Yeah. So I'm I'm wanting to see that. I'm wanting to get that to to understand. Uh, and when you see it, because when I'm, you, I'm sure they thought about this when they were producing it. It's certainly a stylistic choice. Yeah, uh, and it makes sense in the context yeah. of the film. I, I I love justified black and white film, whereas other films that I've seen it's just like, hey, we just put it black and white. <laughs> like stop. Uh, and whilst stop whilst the the film, and it, it didn't make it nearly made me cry. There were there were my my eyes were a bit wet, but. Uh, <laughs> The, are your eyes usually dry? That's the, a problem. The, the water stayed inside. So, yeah, it's it's sentimental and it is looking at something which for Mr. Kenneth Branagh happened over half a century ago. Yeah. It clearly is still, exactly, you know, yeah. rather than, oh yeah, things are all great now. It's obviously tensions continue mm-hmm. across, across uh, Northern Ireland. So there is an element of nostalgia it mixed in amongst the fact that yeah, clearly this is still right. still an issue. Okay, I, I I do want to see it. I do want to see it. My goal for this week is to go watch the new Matrix. Oh, which has been out for quite some time, but I have been putting it off yeah. because it is over two and a half hours long. But we'll come back to that, listener. We will. We will. We will talk about that one in the future. And there's a new Guillermo del Toro movie out called Nightmare Alley. Oh yeah. Oh, I forgot that was out. Has Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe, Rooney Mara, all my favourite people. Wow. In the same space with a great director. And although scary films... Yeah. <laughs> and Del Toro's particular style, uh, I'm maybe less fond of because of all the aforementioned reasons and because reviews right, have been right, good. Right, right, I am also attempting to squeeze that in as well. Yeah, I'd say I'd say the scares that Del Toro usually aims for are a little bit different and a little bit more palatable. So hopefully you'll be able to enjoy it.
James, we have oh, five stories to take us home. And of course, as they always are in this final section, oh, yeah. less than cheery. Who needs good news? <laughs> we'll start with the uh, the news that lawyers for Prince Andrew right. say that uh, he wants to go before a jury to contest the claim brought by Virginia Dufresne. Yes. And he has also denied being a close friend of convicted sex trafficker Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah, no, they just like went on holidays together. It's no, no friendship. In a legal response to uh, Miss Dufresne, who is suing him in the US for sexual assault, uh, Prince Andrew has consistently denied all the allegations. And uh, he is, it's alleged that he assaulted her when she was 17 at homes owned by both Maxwell yep. and the paedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Yes. But in this 11-page court document, which was filed on Wednesday, uh, the legal team for Mr. Andrew lists... Uh, I suppose he's still a prince, isn't he? Uh, the legal team for Prince Andrew listed a number of reasons why they believe it should be dismissed. And uh, one of the factors was the issue of consent, apparently. Right. James, what do you think of all this uh, legal well, stuff? Yeah, it's never surprising when people want a jury trial because juries tend to be a little more lenient Why? than just proof. <laughs> no, uh, no just, just, at that, just at that point, okay? I understand the need to get an impartial jury. Yeah. However... No, that, that's, a, that's, the, that's a curiosity as well. Okay, because... Th- Surely every jury is partial and everyone has biases, regardless of if you think you're biased or not, everyone has a bias. Right, yeah. So the, the jury selection process is about the defendants and the prosecution or the defendant team and prosecution team working together to select the right. most balanced partial jury. Uh-huh. So nobody who's too outright mad decided on either end and like people who they agree are the best representatives so there is a joint effort to come up with a fair jury uh, but facts are that fair juries are we're human beings like we we care about things it's a little bit easier to manipulate a bunch of humans than it is just the the facts of the matter in front of a judge right so people aim for jury trials um, because they usually are fair. And hey, that's a good thing. It is good to, that, that people are judged by their peers. Um, it's, it's a shame when it comes to a case like this that is so well publicized that I, I doubt anybody hasn't made their mind up on it. It's going to be hard to find that impartial jury, similar to cases, yeah, yeah. The, 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 all the big headline cases that you see. Um, a, lo- a lot of people think that getting before a jury, you're most likely to get done for whatever. And it's going to be bad, but usually, I, I like, and again, I, I may be spouting fa- uh, in, incorrect things, but I've I've done enough reading that I think I'm right. Uh-huh. Uh, juries um, will end up giving you like a lesser a lesser judgment than you might otherwise have received. Okay, so you might be more likely to get convicted, I guess, but you're less likely to get the max conviction. Maybe that's what it is. So he's keen to get that because it's a little bit easier to manipulate the situation, manipulate the story. You can select your people. And yeah. it is it is the fairest thing we've come up with as a society. So he, he does deserve the fairest thing we've come up with. Um, but he's 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 pretty scummy. I, 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 
I don't see what he's hoping to get out of it aside from just a lesser conviction. Okay, well, let's uh, move on. Let's talk about uh, Russia and Ukraine. We did mention it at the start of the show. Uh, US President Joe Biden has warned there is a distinct possibility Russia may invade Ukraine next month. Yes. Uh, This is after uh, to and fro in terms of diplomacy. We talked about last week the Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov met with Antony Blinken and that seemed to do very little. Yeah. Russia has responded this week to the US's uh, written response saying it sees little grounds for optimism mm-hmm. in resolving the crisis. And of course, uh, there has been a buildup of up to 100,000 Russian troops on the Ukrainian border yeah. and um, in the last troops. few months. And Belarusian uh, troops as well. Russia, of course, denying it's planning an attack. Uh, the US president made these comments in a telephone call with the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, uh, yesterday, on Thursday. Yeah, so we've got the UK stating that Russian the Russians are planning to overthrow the Ukrainian government and that they're planning a lightning war, which sounds a little bit like a blitzkrieg. Yep. Um, we got the US saying it's going to be next month, which lines up with Putin's really weird desire to do things on n- specific numbers of days. So people are thinking it's going to be the second or the 22nd, because that's the most twos that you can get. Uh, because previous Russian things have all happened on days of lots of eights in them in the date or lots of other numbers in the date. Um, so it's, it's, it's looking pretty def- sorry it's looking pretty definite that something is going to go down and that the Russians were lying all along. I'm so surprised. Um, but they're also <laughs> they've also warned Japan not to get involved. Wow. And China are telling everybody, hey, stop this escalation. Yep. Uh, so it really is. It's going places, and I think the louder, um, the louder a statement countries are willing to make on a thing like the US and the UK, the more sure it is. So if the US is saying, "Hey, it might happen next month," they probably know for a fact the plan is for next month. And if the UK is saying, "Hey, it looks like the Russians are going to overthrow the Ukrainian government," they know the plan is for a fact to do that. Um, so I'm not pleased. Right. So so just at this point, a couple of more pieces of information to throw in. One was some analysis I saw from the New York Times, which was uh, arguing that Biden has learned from the mistakes of Afghanistan and even more recently that military pact they made with Australia without telling the French. And instead, this time, has basically got right. all the European allies, including the likes of Italy and Poland, uh, to, to all be on the same calls and to be in the same meetings so that everybody is there and knows what's happening. Right, yeah, yeah. Which seems to be better than as the, the two previous incidents mentioned. Yeah. As for China, I've seen a couple of things. The most recent one I saw here was one of uh, China's foreign ministers uh, who, who was arguing that Russia's concerns over NATO and security need to be taken seriously. So does that mean China are kind of on the Russian side then? Uh, no, I think China are on their own side. I think the best thing in terms of China's long-term uh, situation would be a slightly weaker Russia, so they can keep Russia kind of in their back pocket, which they kind of are. Um, yeah. Whereas if Russia managed to expand a little bit here and get a land, get the get the land they want, get the access to gas that they want, and you know have a more efficient path to Crimea that they want, they're a little bit better. So it frees them up from China a little. So ideally, China just wants things to remain status quo, which for them is uh, uh, everyone taking Russia's worries about NATO seriously, so that we leave them alone, but that so that Russia also leave everyone else alone. Because if Russia start expanding again, NATO just gets even more 
of a cause. We did also have, though, this week, China denying that their Premier Xi Jinping had suggested to Vladimir Putin that he delay invading Ukraine until after the Winter Olympics. No, but Putin likes invading during the Olympics. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Like his, his desire for significant dates and stuff supersedes uh, Winnie the Pooh. It- um <laughs> Okay, right. Well, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about Brewdog. This is the uh, Scottish brewer, which has become a multinational giant of alcohol. And this week, after months of worsening stories, probably years of worsening stories, the chief executive of Brewdog is now being accused of inappropriate behaviour and abuse of power in the workplace by former staff. We had more than 15 former workers speaking to the BBC's Disclosure Programme. Former Brewdog USA workers said that Mr. Watt's behaviour made female bartenders feel uncomfortable and powerless. Uh, Lawyers said the allegations were false and he denied behaving Mm -hmm. inappropriately. Uh, It also uncovered, by the way, that uh, Mr. Watt owns shares in Heineken, despite the fact that this is meant to be the the punk brand. And they posted videos years ago of blowing up right, yeah. kegs of Heineken and tenants and other giant multinational companies. No, but you've got to own, own shares of your enemies. Like, <laughs> basic strategy, own shares in your competitors so that when you make money, you make money off your brand. And when they make money, you make money off their brand too. Hey, I'm, <laughs> I don't know if that's illegal or not, but it just seems like basic maths. Right, but but also um, it's the fact that they were portraying and have portrayed for a long time. Yeah, they've, they've always this, been carpo. This punk ethos, but actually... They're just a big, they're just like everyone else. No, yeah, no. Like, I used to believe it a wee bit, but it dissolved for me several years ago. I've talked about this in the podcast when I went into their establishment and they had little, like, cards on their table detailing their success in the stock market compared to their competitors. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's just really sad. <laughs> so to me, the, the, the difficulty is I do still enjoy Brewdog beers. However, however. There's, a, there's better beers. There are other beers out there. And so wherever I can, I can, I can, I can, I can point you in the direction of, oh, no, no. of I, I, some good local shops to get the good local beers. I have, in. Yes, I have lots of lots of other beers. I did some digging, nice, and have sampled a few which I like, nice. But it, it, again, it's that it, it's the internal decision over is the actions of this company enough for me to stop using their products? And that applies currently, to currently that applies to the likes of Apple and Huawei and yeah. Google yeah. and all these companies who have basically done terrible things. Well, everyone, and Brewdog every are the current ones where by all uh, intents and purposes, this guy, Mr. James Watt, the co-founder, is a terrible human being and has done some yeah. terrible, terrible things. And his company, whilst portraying themselves as one thing are actually doing the other. And it does put me off yeah. drinking their and buying their stuff because I don't want to be supporting a company well, that treats its workers like that. Yeah, and like reading through this report on the current accusations, it's pretty clear. There's no way that you've got this huge list of people conspiring to tell one big lie together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all independently and from different areas and and often just people who are looking to protect others, right? You don't get that. That this is so this is another judgment on the man and on the company so long as he is left in charge and unpunished. Um the good thing about you as the consumer in this situation is there are there are good alternatives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the difference between this and the likes of Google or Amazon or any of these multinationals, any of these like 
the, the three big companies that own everything. Okay. Um, when there's an alternative, it is easy to fulfill your moral obligation of not supporting the bad thing. Whereas when the company, when the when the moral obligation cannot be met at a reasonable cost, sadly, the only thing we can do is try to advocate for the for the cost to come down. So advocate for monopolies to be broken up rather than try and dodge the monopolies. Advocate for companies to stop using factories in China rather than trying to buy any clothes that don't originate from slave factories, right? Right, right, right. When, when the cost, when the moral uh, cost isn't actually achievable by the person, you have to let it slide. And you can't judge people for not doing it. This is why it's really important not to be judging the consumer when they shop at Primark because they don't have the money to shop anywhere else. They don't have the ability to get themselves out of that moral cost. But it's important to make sure we all know that our goal is to change things. Okay, two more stories to go. Let's talk about Spotify, Neil Young and Joe Rogan. So this is the news this week that Spotify has removed Neil Young's music after the company refused to take down the Joe Rogan podcast. So Mr. Young, in a statement uh, that he released said that Spotify needed to do more to challenge the misinformation, mainly about vaccines, uh, according to Mr. Young, that are in the Joe Rogan Experience, Spotify's most popular podcast. And in this ultimatum, he said, hey, if you don't do something about this misinformation, I want you to take my music down. And so Spotify said, okay, we'll take your music down. Yep. And that's what happened. Um, and it is a side... Hold, that- hold on. So just to, on the back of that, to add to, to why Mr. Young has been so uh, so forthright about this, it's also in the same month that 270 doctors, scientists, healthcare professionals, and professors wrote an open letter to Spotify expressing concern about the level of misinformation on Joe Rogan's podcast, highlighting yeah. among the controversial episodes, one from Robert Malone, who has been criticized for spreading uh, misinformation. Yeah. And also, as recently as, I believe it was this week, where Jordan Peterson oh. came on to essentially be a parody of himself it, for half an hour. Honest, for half an hour? For, for, for three, three, four hours? He, he, it was an embarrassing performance, even by his uh, degraded mind standards. Right, let's talk about Neil um, Young, though. Let's. What about the, this whole ultimatum? It's either me or you. You can't have us both. And Spotify said, okay, bye. Yeah, it's, it's fruitless. It's fruitless. Those kinds of ultimatums are fruitless unless you have a collective group that is significantly more of, of value Neil Young. than... Uh, than than Joe Rogan. Oh, okay. Uh, which Neil Young isn't right. He's got he's a legend in quotes. He's a big name in quotes. But right now, Joe Rogan is far more significant to the platform than he is. So easy business decision. It does mean that Spotify have kind of put themselves be, as the backers of Joe Rogan and what he's saying, which is a pickle. Yeah. Um, but you need bigger collective action in this to be worth it, and it's beyond the means of anyone normal to do. However, Spotify as a platform do need to do their part in ensuring that they're not being a place where massive amounts of misinformation is being spread. And Joe Rogan's takes on the vaccine are Honkin. awful. His own personal takes are awful, awful, not just the takes of his guests. He is wrong. He is against the science and he doesn't allow himself to be fact-checked. No, and pre-pandemic, the amount of horrendous climate change takes which resurfaced this week in the wake of all this, also yeah. terrible. Now, 
there's a lot of fans of the man. He he's he's a good listener. He's a good interviewer, but he definitely is not the person he was when the podcast started. No, he's not the person he was when the podcast got big. He is now just a shill for whatever he wants to believe in. He no longer listens to the guests that are that disagree with him. He only listens to the guests who agree with him. He doesn't listen to his own fact checkers when they're checking what he's stating, and you can tell because his fact checkers sound exhausted. The show is not worth supporting. It was never that great, but it was it was at least a platform where people got listened to. But he, he is not a smart man, and he has not got smart decisions ma- being made, and he is misleading people and causing harm. So Spotify should do more. And that's not removing him from the platform, but it certainly is tell him that to be on the platform he needs to be doing more fact checking. Okay, one final story it is the news that a SpaceX rocket, that's the the company of Elon Musk, is on a collision course with the moon (laughs) after spending the last seven years hurtling through space. So this booster was first launched from Florida in February 2015. It was getting uh, some deep space climate observatory into the Lagrange point which is a uh, gravity-neutral position four times further than the moon in direct line with the sun. Yeah. And basically at that point, once the rocket got this object to this place in space, it didn't have enough fuel to come back to Earth, and it also lacked the energy to escape the gravity of the Earth-Moon well, system. And so, for the last seven years, has just been flying about space, and on March 4th is due to hit the moon at a velocity of two and a half kilometers a second. <laughs> Wow. Yes. Now, the the, the the big picture thing, and I've seen some experts who've said, this isn't really a big deal. We know what happens when, when junk funny. hits a planet. We know what happens. But uh, yes, it's just funny. It is. And it is an indication that like the tech, the, the, the techie boy doesn't get everything right. And that rushing to space without, without exactly the most rigorous of uh, a system isn't, isn't the best. But... <laughs> People uh, will keep advocating for him because he puts his money behind um, adventure and yeah. bravery. And crypto. Um, oh, he loves crypto, yeah. <laughs> Which, what, yet again, Mr. Mr. B. Peterson has been tweeting about even crypto. He's, he's fallen Aww. that far. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I just, it's nice to see Musk's name being attached to a tech gone wrong headline because usually when Musk's tech goes wrong, it just gets silenced. It gets hushed. Nobody talks about it. Yeah. Um, and they just talk about the good things instead. And the good things aren't that good. His, his, his Most of his good stuff, actually not that impressive. I like the space program for the most part, but my goodness, is it wasteful? Um so just I hope his failures keep getting headlines because the guy doesn't actually have that much of a success behind him that isn't just funded by taxes. Do you know, just just you've jogged my memory of the movie Don't Look Up, which I told people to avoid because it was too long. It wasn't funny. There was only one shining light in that film. It was Mark Rylance who was playing this essentially Elon Musk character who at the end of the day his tech goes horrendously wrong and he just sort of shuffles away and it was such a spot on portrayal of yes how these uh, tech giants and tech people 
Uh, he was like an amalgam of Steve Jobs and uh, and Elon Musk in the in the yeah. movie. But it was so well done, and he also had like the president's ear and uh, all these other things which were going yeah, on. And they do and very very well done. They do. They're not worth believing in because they they make false promises. Their tech fails, and then they just try and hide the failures and try and highlight the things that are good. And yeah, that works for business and it works for the stock market, but it's not going to last forever. And eventually, it's going to be us who pays the price. Yep, hiding the failures and showing the things which are good sounds like editing this show and that sounds like the place to leave it as well yeah james thank you yeah. very much for your time yeah. we're, we're also f- we're also fake we're not real it's exactly <laughs> like musk it's what we said we said that we told you at the start yeah anyway thank you for your time elon musk not real <laughs> and, uh, we will be back next week with more in the boris saga oh, i can't wait and some other fun news as well yeah, it'll be good thank you colin thank you listeners well, thank you bye bye james bye listeners bye listeners <laughs>